Hi, everybody. It's Hannah. Just jumping on before the episode starts, uh, like like actually starts. So this is being recorded after our main episode was recorded with Corbin. As you can tell from the title, uh, we are talking quite a bit about coronavirus in this part of the episode. Um, this episode was actually split into two different segments. So this is kind of segment one, and it's covering, like I just said, a lot about um, coronavirus. So I know that because like literally the last 10 months of our life have been like evolving around or pardon me, evolving, revolving around coronavirus that knowing that you're about to listen to like an hour and a half of Corbin and I talk about like the pandemic and everything might kind of sound like depressing and just like, oh, the last thing I want to hear about right about right now is coronavirus. But Corbin and I come at it from more of like an education standpoint and we talk a lot about what the next year of our life is going to look like with this brand new vaccine coming up and like what the restrictions are going to kind of look like and how we feel Canada has handled it. Um, So I I, I think, I mean, obviously it's, I was on recording it, but it it was a very informational episode and a very interesting episode. Corbin brought a lot to the table as he always does. And with that being said, we also did touch on vaccines and I would like to note that, um, again, you are listening to a conversation between Corbin and I. So we both have our personal opinions regarding a vaccine about COVID and vaccines in general, which we do kind of stray into. Please note that we are not trying to um, sway anyone one way or the other or pass judgment or assume anything right about people who do or do not get vaccines this is just again our conversation and our opinions on it so please note that while you're listening if you hear something that you don't necessarily agree with um that is not us trying to pass judgment or anything like that we are respectful of anyone's choices that they want to make um this is just kind of uh, how how we feel on the topic and we're just kind of trying to have like an, an open conversation about it so i hope that you're listening with open ears uh again thank you guys so much for listening and please enjoy Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Literally the Podcast. It's your ho- It's one of your hosts, Hannah, and I'm joined today by a very special friend of mine, Mr. Corbin Nolt. Corbin, say hello. Uh, hello. Hello. Um, Corbin is a very dear friend of mine. We met, how many years ago was grade eight now? Oh, eight years? No, Seven really? years? Yeah, it's okay. been a long time. <laughs> wow, that makes me feel kind of old. Okay, so we met like eight years ago in the eighth grade. We went to high school together. Um, and we've just kind of been friends ever since. I think our friendship grew with time. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit or do you want me to introduce you? Uh, yeah. Uh, as Hannah said, my name's Corbin. Uh, right now I'm studying biomedical engineering at the University of British Columbia, uh, over in Vancouver. I grew up in Nanaimo, went to high school with Hannah and um, we actually met through student council. So we were both quite involved in student council during high school, as well as the uh, Performing Arts Academy. So we were both drama I forgot nerds. you even took that. Yeah, it was awesome. Drama we were both nerds. Drama, yeah. like big into drama and uh, like student leadership. So that's kind of where Hannah and I started, started associating and we're just buddy buddy ever since definitely um yeah so corbin like and i don't use this term lightly because i mean i do know a lot of like very smart people but corbin is like the smartest person that i know and i i do mean that corbin i'm not trying to like Uh, totally whatever you're too kind flattering truly it's like when you were like i'm in like biomedical engineering i was kind of like nodded i was like all right (laughs) cool i don't even know what that means like you know what i mean like i feel like i 
Okay, so let's go into our first impressions of each other. That's what I'm interested to know. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do, like, you first? Yeah. Um, so I think when I first kind of met you and, like, saw you around school, um, I was like, wow, look at her. She's so, like, bubbly and full of energy and, like, living her best life. Like, she looks so happy and content. And, like, she's friends with everybody, you know? Like, you're one of those people that you just, like, you walk into a room and, like, you're you know, you, you light up the room with your energy, even if you're, like, not being, I don't know how to say this, like, like, Hannah can be a savage sometimes. (laughs) So (laughs) even when she's like, ripping someone a new one, or like, like making like a, a sassy joke, like Hannah still brings the life to the room, like she's the life of the party. Corbin, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Okay. So when I first met Corbin, it was in, we were in advanced math class. You were in like the extra advanced math class. So I think I kind of got to know you because I really admired like how, like, I mean, obviously I just said like, you're really smart, but like, I think what I loved is like, you were so intent on like knowing, like if you got something wrong, you were like, okay, well, how'd that happen? Like, why did I do that? I'm not, not going to do that next time. Like you were very like driven. And I loved that right away. You're fucking hilarious like not to swear but like seriously you're so funny like I I was always laughing around you and I think as I got to know you more like we had like this like witty like back and forth which I kind of loved um and it we were like co-presidents and students council with our friend Maddie shout out Mads um and I loved working with you because you were very reliable which I obviously we we needed that that year so mm-hmm. um yeah very driven and I was just kind of like, I was like, okay, how do I get to his level? Like, I still haven't achieved it, but I'm working towards it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. We definitely have like very similar sense of humor, I would say. Yes, I agree. Um, and I think we both like grown a lot and we kind of like understand each other a lot more now. Absolutely. You know what I mean? mm-hmm. um, okay, so you are at UBC doing biomedical engineering. So we're kind of, we have a few different topics we're going to be covering in today's episode. Um, just to kind of learn more about you though, um, can you explain to our listeners who are like me and don't know what that is, what that is and what you're planning on doing with that? Absolutely. So biomedical engineering, at least how it's offered at UBC, uh, it's a very new program. I'm actually in the first cohort of students who will be uh, taking this program at UBC. So biomedical engineering traditionally has been kind of focused on devices. So for example, like a pacemaker or a hip implant would be a prime example of a biomedical or of a device created by a biomedical engineer. But UBC is really trying to encourage people to kind of branch more into the uh, like the biology side of biomedical engineering and work with the science in order to create new therapeutics, whether that's working through um, proteins and using proteins to uh, help people with therapeutics or creating new processes uh, in order to create these uh, these new drugs or processes for healthcare. So I'm in the kind of newer cell and biology focused uh, portion of the UBC biomedical engineering program. Okay. But Uh, They also offer courses that are more tailored to the traditional biomedical engineering aspects, which are the more kind of like pacemaker and uh, 
and hip implant type implantable devices. Okay. Um, so what, like, cause you graduate this spring, do you not? No. So, so I graduate in 2022 as part of UBC engineering. Um, I'm doing their co-op program. Oh, right. So through that, you get 16 months of paid work experience, full-time paid work experience. And the university helps facilitate that by collecting jobs from uh, around Vancouver, but not just around Vancouver, uh, but around Canada and internationally as well. So we have, uh, we're provided with uh, the opportunity to apply to different jobs that might leverage the skills that we've learned in class or through volunteering. Okay. So that's what I'm doing right now so that adds an extra year to my degree so I'll be graduating May 2022 and then after that I'm still weighing a couple options for post-graduation one of which is just looking for a job right after graduation at a company going and working um, in industry is uh, how we say it over here uh, and, uh, another option is that I could go back to school and get a PhD. So PhDs, especially in the, like, I guess any sort of graduate school, especially mm-hmm. in the, um, biology field or the, the biomedicine field is strongly encouraged, but, uh, yeah. So if I, if it will improve my career, my career outlooks, then I'll definitely go and get a PhD, mm-hmm. or at least I'll consider it. Uh, and I'm also planning on starting to study for the MCAT in January. I was just January. Ask, are they, oh my god, really? Yeah. So I'm oh. going to take. I was just going to med school. Mm-hmm, so I'm starting a new job in January. I finish my current one uh, at the end of not next week, but the week after. So I'm going to start studying for the MCAT. One of my friends. She studied for it last summer, and she's starting her first year of med school this year. Oh, wow. So I'm hoping her books will give me good luck. Yeah. And... Wait, so she's in her first semester right now, you mean? Yeah. Oh, whoa. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah literally. And she's our age. So very impressive. She got into med school the first year that it is basically possible to get in. Really? Yeah. <sighs> she's so, an incredible person. That, oh. We love, well, we love to see it. Um, Okay. So, oh my God. Okay. See, literally what, what did I just say? So driven. Like your three options are so like, it's like rather well planned out, even though you're like, you have three options. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm Mm -hmm. gonna graduate and see, see what happens. Like, I don't even know. So, oh, okay. I wonder what, like, what are you leaning towards? Well, I'm going to write the MCAT for sure. Okay. So I guess kind of maybe depending on what I get on the MCAT, that will be the deciding factor as to whether or not I apply to med school. Okay. And then, you know, if I apply to med school and get in, then like, who am I to say no med school? You may not. You would be Corbin. You would be Corbin to say no to med school. Are you kidding? Like, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to pass. Like, you know what I mean? Like weird flex, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that just shows how smart you are. Um. Oh wow, that'd be so awesome. Like any of those sound like obviously like great careers, but huh? 
Mm Corbin the doctor. I mean, but PhD, you're still like a doctor, are you not? Yes, it's a different type of doctor. So I think if I was to go to med school, uh, funnily enough, I would aim for the MD-PhD program. Okay. So it's an extra two years and you do research as part of your uh, like GP degree. So like that's what the four years of med school is. You once you finish, you can be a GP. Mm -hmm. Um, So it adds an extra two years and you also get a PhD out of it. So that would be an MD PhD does less of work with like directly treating patients. Mm -hmm. So like in a hospital or in a clinic, um, whereas an MD PhD might do more clinical research style testing. So testing of like new drugs within a company, creating clinical trials, um, kind of more stuff like that and not necessarily having direct hands-on interactions with patients not that I don't think that I would enjoy that but um, I do really enjoy I really enjoy the uh like the kind of research aspect to it as well Mm -hmm. Uh, like the research aspect of helping people in addition to like Mm one-on-one help and I think maybe this year more than any year we've kind of seen how important like it is like that that process that we don't see right away like creating the drug testing the drug like all that stuff like is the mm-hmm. most important part, obviously, right? Yeah. We've seen with coronavirus. So Absolutely. if you could be a part of that in some way, like that'd be, yeah. Oh, we'd be lucky to have you on that end. Oh my God. Um, oh, thanks, Hannah. Of course. So you live in Vancouver and you grew up in Nanaimo. So obviously very different. What is the biggest difference you think you've seen between like small town Nan to big city? Um, I think the biggest difference is honestly, like, for me, the most striking difference, especially after coming back, uh, like, say, the first time when I moved out here for first year, mm-hmm. coming the first time I came back, it was really quite striking to me how kind of green it is okay. on the island. Okay. So, like, it's something that I had just, like, noticed, but almost every road like even highways will have lots of greenery on either side of them whereas in Vancouver a lot of the like I live basically in the middle of the city so a lot of the roadways will have like sidewalks and then like buildings and storefronts on them as opposed to like the highways in Nanaimo which will have like a little bit of like parkland next to them or whatever so I think that that was definitely the most striking difference and then another difference would be how hmm sorry I kind of sprung that one on you yeah that's okay (laughs) um another difference would be probably like how different the like people and atmosphere are like I would say that people on the island are a little bit more laid back okay and like go with the flow whereas people in vancouver like they are there for a reason and they are on a mission and they're like they're there to complete the mission they're not there to like Mm -hmm. stop and smell the flowers yeah which does kind of like mesh with how i am as a person because i am very like go there get in do your thing and get out yeah Okay. Interesting. Um, 
do you, so obviously I guess I can say like you prefer city. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I know I'm planning on doing a bit of a larger move, like early 2022. And I'm like, I just need city life. Like, I just know it's for me. Like I thrive when I'm not in an island. as bad as that sounds like I love the island, but like, I just think I need a thing out. And I'm kind of like you were getting, get out, like go, go, go. Like I, and I feel Mm -hmm. like that's so not the island. Yeah, Um, I agree. So would you kind of uh, prefer to move to like a Victoria type of scene or like a Vancouver type of scene? Are you thinking more like U.S. or East Coast? Um, I'm thinking like not that I'm honestly thinking Calgary because I have a few connections coming up that are going to end up being in Calgary. And that's I think like. I went there once for the stampede and it was like, it kind of like, I was like, okay, I didn't even ever consider this, but it's close enough to BC that I could visit family. So I think Calgary, which I feel like is more in line with van than like a Victoria vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause I think I want to get out of BC, but I don't want to go too far to the East coast. Cause like, I love my sister. She lives there, but that's just so far. Like I don't even see her enough. So if mm-hmm. I could be in the middle, that'd be better. So to answer your question, like I guess more of a Vancouver vibe, but not Vancouver. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, But back to you. Um, What do you think, like, did, did this, like, did moving to Vancouver, like, help you in any way? Like, did this, like, further you as a person in, like, a really good way that you noticed? Um, Yeah, like, I would say that it kind of let me be more myself. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really feel attached to the the person that I had created for myself in high school. Like okay. the person that I had like like uh made myself out to be in yeah. high school. So it was nice that I could like not really feel attached and that I could kind of undergo like undergo a little bit of change and sort of rebrand myself a little bit. In like a literally uh, fresh new city. Yeah, exactly. Like a whole new group of people, like nobody knows who I am. So I can be like whoever I want. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know why you would, why anyone would choose to be anything but the most authentic version of themselves. Mm-hmm. And like, am I right in assuming that like, it's like a weird, like small town mentality where like, you kind of like carry who you are all throughout the way that like the, the people that like you're with, you like grow up as that person. And then once you leave, it's like, because there's no attachment, it's like, if you were wanting to change, it's like, that's like your chance. Like it's, I feel like it's almost hard to, when you're with the same people all the time, you know what I mean? Cause like you said, they've, I've come to like know who you are as that per like when I'm with you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. And like, I think that it's like, it was probably a combination of graduating high school as what, like leaving high school as well as leaving Nanaimo. Mm-hmm. Because when you leave high school, like the only people that you keep in contact with are the ones that you like want to keep in contact with. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're the ones who are hopefully going to, like, embrace your your personal journey yeah. of self-growth. So I don't even think that it's necessarily, like, necessary to even, like, move away in order to do that, as long as you have supportive people around you. Okay. Wow. And you just, like, put on, like, a t-shirt. <laughs> Be supportive. <laughs> Surround yourself with supportive people. <laughs> Literally. Um Okay, so uh, just one more thing before we get started. Um, 
How are you balanced? Okay, so also, just to like, for the listeners who can't see Corbin, I will post a photo of him. If you follow my Instagram, at literally the podcast, please go follow. Um, Corbin's <laughs> jacked, okay? Corbin, like, I mean, you were always False. like, very, no, let, 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 let me gas you up for one sec, okay? I'm um, a twonk. <laughs> okay, so Corbin's <laughs> always been like very handsome all throughout high school, for sure. Like, did I have a crush on him in grade 10? Absolutely. Now, like, you know, now I just appreciate your looks, you know what I mean? But anyways, very handsome, but like, the amount of gym selfies I get of Corbin at the gym, I'm like, what? You were there all the time. Sorry, just I totally added you. But anyways, like, you know what I mean? Like, Corbin is like just on his game right now. And then I, I look at you and I'm like, okay, hold on. You're a brilliant. Like, in your, uh, what is it called? Co-op right now. Like, killing life. Like, you're super social, working out, like, staying, everything. Like, how do you, in your opinion, are you balancing it? How are you balancing it? Do you even sleep? <laughs> Yes, I sleep eight hours a night, actually. <laughs> Can we get it, all right? Be I better cannot live life. without my sleep. My sleep is so important to me. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's hard. So <laughs> okay. to, give you, to give you an idea mm-hmm. of, I would say, like, probably the toughest time I had balancing my, like, work slash, like, work school slash personal slash social mm-hmm. life was during third year so let me give you an idea of the amount of commitments i had during okay, third i'm ready year. so i was registered in 42 credits to give you an idea one class at ubc averages three credits in one semester so you're 40... at 42 no that's over a year <gasps> Corbin, whoa. Okay. so for a year so that's like okay, like twenty-one credits. So that's an average of like seven classes. A oh, year, that's still, yeah, right? for sure. Or sorry, seven seven classes a term. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking seven classes a term. I am a residence advisor at the uh, UBC residence. Okay. So like, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what a residence advisor is. I, I feel like we have something similar at BIU. Yeah. So basically, like, I live in Dorms. the student housing community and i like i'm like i'm like a hall monitor okay yes yeah and like i and like i put on little events oh wait are you referred to as an ra okay that's what ours are i was like i've heard resident advisor before yeah okay we we have ras for sure yeah exactly so i was an ra um at my student residence um i volunteered at a lab so that was like you know, probably 10 hours a week, I would volunteer at a lab on campus in order to just gain experience to make me more hireable for the co-op that I'm in now. Uh, And then I also had to maintain a semblance of a social life. And I was the co-president of my department club, the Biomedical Engineering uh, undergraduate student association that's a mouthful so you can see i'm i'm bringing those skills from student council literally up to, uh, university with oh me my God. <laughs> yeah so i had a, a super full plate during third year i actually had to cut out the gym which is really really sad for uh-huh. me because i started like really focusing on the gym basically as soon as i came to university mm-hmm. uh and then having to stop during third year was pretty sad and then I had planned to start up again in the summer and then COVID happened so when the gym back on so when the gym on campus reopened in uh July I've been in three to four days a week okay well yeah so you like really got back 
Yeah. So it's a lot easier now that I like, I work nine to five. I don't have any extracurriculars. Like I don't have a, a surplus part-time job mm-hmm. on top of my full-time mm-hmm. job. Like I work nine to five and I go to the gym. So that's how I have time to balance it. And I know that when I come back to fourth year, it is going to be a little bit more of a difficult balancing act. Um, but I'm not going to lie, like going to the gym during COVID has like really been beneficial for mm-hmm. me, like not just in like a, like a physical health, like getting exercise, totally. but it's also like a, like mental health, you know, it's a time to relax. It's a time that I can just kind of like let my brain do nothing and, you know, just like enjoy the endorphins that flood. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that I'm really going to be prioritizing uh, being able to continue staying in the gym once fourth year rolls around. No, for sure. Yeah. So also to clarify that quote earlier being like, like the gym selfies was not a dig. Like I have so much respect <laughs> for you for being able to do all of that because I feel like people kind of like, you're either like, Oh, gym rats, like, blah, 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 or you're like, Oh, I don't have to have the gym, but it's like, you just said so important for your health. And I think like, if you're able to balance that now at the stage where you're in, in your life, it will only help you later on because you'll already be used to incorporating it. And like, I feel like as we get older, it's something that gets like slipped in our mind to like do every day or even like a few times a week, like you said, three, four times a week. And it really like has an impact. And like you just said, during COVID, this is a time when focusing on yourself is of the utmost importance and staying healthy is so important. Absolutely. Like I, yeah, I think it's, great that you're able to balance all that. I mean, like you said, it is easier now, but going into fourth year, like it is so good for you. So I think everyone should be making, you know, not even the hardcore working out, but just like taking care of yourself a big priority. Yeah. And my dad is massive. So I have, uh, I have something to live up. Corbin's to. dad was my math teacher. Just to- <laughs> He was my math teacher. Too. <laughs> I was your peer tutor. <laughs> that, just, that shows like, what levels we're on right now oh my god no literally like I imagine the constant pressure I felt like I had and I like I love your dad like Ryan's awesome but like I had a mini nold and a mr nold every day like breathing down my neck did you get that pre-calc 11 assignment done Hannah and I was like oh my god please leave me alone like anyways but yeah so mr nold was also like massive so I was just surrounded by muscles and brains, which is like two things I do not have <laughs> all the time in my grade 12 years. So, wow. We were... Oh, also, if you heard that a little ASMR clip Corbin just did for us, we are pouring wine. Oh, sorry. Should I? No, that's myself? perfect. I'm pouring mine. Ready? Hannah, what are you drinking this evening? I am drinking a Pinot Grigio. What are you drinking? I am drinking a Shiraz oh. from Naked Grace. Oh. It was $14. It's 12.5% and it's a liter and a half. <laughs> I love how you're like, I need to share this with everyone. All three of your listeners, they need to know right now. Yeah, I know. I'm really proud. <laughs> I could have gone for the white, but I felt like going for a red mm-hmm. tonight because I haven't had a red in a while. Mm. Well, we are diving into some hardcore topics and I'm pumped. Um, before we begin our like meat and bones of the episode, court. I ask all of my all of the people that come on, what are you literally obsessed with for this week? Ooh, okay. I you, you can I'm do have all a really three. hard time picking. Do all three. So it's fine. Do all three. I have three, <laughs> and they they get progressively narrow in like time scope. Okay. So the first one, the thing that I've been literally obsessed with all of quarantine, 
is my AirPods Pro. So I bought these right at the beginning of quarantine. They are god tier pieces of hardware. Are they what you're wearing if you're right on now? the fence, that's what okay. I'm wearing right now. The audio AirPods Pro mm-hmm. mics. They're incredible. You see them on the news and the people wearing AirPods Pro on the news literally sound better than the newscasters. So if you're sitting on the fence about them, I know they're very expensive, but they're definitely worth okay. it. Uh, the other thing that I have been literally obsessed with is Among Us. Like like the game? Like the game. Okay. Among Us, so much fun. Love playing Among Us. Um, AOC, uh, yes. Andrea Ocasio-Cortez, and uh, Jagmeet Singh, they actually did a stream last week. They streamed playing Among Us with uh, a handful of leftist YouTubers, and they raised <laughs> over... Leftist YouTubers? What? I I'll figure, like, just uh, to be clear, and... they were left-wing, not right-wing. Correct. Uh, and they were able to raise over $200,000 to help um, families uh, who are facing food insecurity in the U.S. right now. Are you as obsessed with AOC as I am? I think she's God's gift to the earth. I'm not even being dramatic. I think she's literally the best woman on earth. And if she would be president one day, I would be so pumped. Like, if she... Because wasn't she going to be, like, Bernie's running mate? Right? Uh, no, she's not old enough. What? How old is she? She's... Uh... Oh, 24. I don't know, but... No, she's older than that. She's, I think, 31. Because... Yeah, I know. She looks incredible. Um, because I think that she just barely makes the cutoff if she were to run in 2024. Okay. And she were to win, she just barely makes the cutoff for being 35 okay. by inauguration. Oh, uh, could you imagine? Like, even her as our uh, VP, like, uh, the world would be so good. I can't even. Yeah, uh, like That was your only two. You had Among Us and AirPods. What's the third? Oh, right. Uh, my third one is uh, Minecraft. I was expecting so, so much more from you. I'm confused. What? I don't know. So my friends and I, um, we recently discovered through targeted advertising, <laughs> shout out to Google. Um, we recently discovered uh, super cheap Minecraft server hosting. Okay. So I play Minecraft with five of my friends and we all have a like a server together. So we all play together and it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's so nice. And I feel like with COVID, so, it's like a way to connect. Yeah, and, like, we just, like, hang out in the Discord lobby, in the Discord, like, audio chat, and, like, we play Minecraft, and it's been going on for about a week, so this is actually what I've been literally obsessed with. I know, you started both of them, and I was like, this has been around for weeks now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, so those were your three. Those were my okay, three. It's okay if I what, go. what are you literally obsessed with this Thank week, Thank you Hannah? for asking, Corps. Um, Okay, so this week I'm literally obsessed with. Have you ever heard of the franchise on Bravo? I'm going to sound so, – you're going to really be able to tell where the intelligence lies here. Um, the Real Housewives? Like uh, Of which? So, like, there's where? Beverly Hills, um, OC, there's, like, Potomac, right? All those different series. So yeah. I mainly watch Beverly Hills, but – there is a new one that just got released like a few weeks ago now. And it's real housewives of like Salt Lake City. And I'm like, oh man, like this is going to be a mess. And like no shade to anyone, but like 
obviously Salt Lake City is like big Mormon community. So I was like, what are they even going to talk about? These people are wild. I watch it for comedic relief. Like they're like <laughs> Mormon. And then they have like stripper poles installed in their basements. Like they're wild Corbin. And like, I just like watch it while I, like, I worked out this morning. I just like, watched it, but the franchises, they get so wild. And it's honestly like a way, like I'm just saying like Salt Lake City is not like my favorite, but I just like, it's a new one. So I've been watching it, but they're all like, so insane like more insane than like the next it's like a way to just like forget about the world for like an hour and just be like yes i understand your rich people problems like oh i wish mm -hmm. i could afford that bag you know what i mean like they're just like so wild and their fights are so petty i really relate you know mm -hmm. it's like wow i don't want to have to think about the food lines in texas so i'm gonna watch rich white people fight Okay, well, you say it like that, I just sound awful, but, like, okay, it's just, like, a way to just, like... I'm not shaming your television habits, Hannah. Okay, well. You know what? Everyone needs a little bit of a cathartic relief. And that's the thing, and I'm right back on to, like, reading the news, like, the next hour, but it's just, like, something, and I don't know, like, like they were fighting, so, like, one of the girls, she didn't, like, hug her when she walked in, and her little in interview later, she's like, there's just some serious tension between myself and Jen, and we need to have a meeting. And I was like... How dare she? I don't hug anybody anymore. It's a pandemic, lady. Like, chill out. I don't know. Like... <laughs> Their fights are so petty. I'm like, I don't understand you, but I do. So anyways, mm -hmm. that's my obsession. Just like watching trash TV and um, drinking wine and then like going back to my homework next hour. But anyways. All right. We good to get started? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Okay. So um, everyone who is listening. So like I mentioned, Corbin is very intelligent and you are very analytical with your responses. So I thought it would be cool to talk to start talking about COVID a little bit. Um, I don't I haven't talked about this like much on my podcast, but um, obviously we're not medical professionals. Um, but yeah, 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 true. Yet, <laughs> um, but I thought you obviously have given this more thought than most people. So we're gonna talk about a, bit, a little bit about COVID vaccines and all that good stuff. So Corbin, first question: What are your initial thoughts regarding like the lockdown? So March hits, we're all in lockdown. What were you thinking? Were you one of the people who believed it was going to like be done in May and we're going to be like back in the clubs in July? Or were you like, this is not going to end for like four years? <clears throat> so before we get into the meat of the COVID section, uh, I am going to make a shameless plug. Yeah, do it. So uh, I have zero affiliation with them, but it's just, it's been a really good, um, a really good way for me to get factual information and it's a podcast called this week in virology i'm writing it down this so, week yeah so it's hosted by five virologists and twice a week they talk about new publications and new news stories regarding the pandemic okay. and they analyze it from a scientific perspective it's a group of virologists. And those are, so they so know what they're talking virologists about. Virologists, people who study viruses. Yes. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I'm just making sure. No, of course. Um, so I highly recommend it if you're looking for good, reliable, factual news sources, as opposed to like something that, if you're afraid that it might be partisan. Is it based in Canada? You no. Know, of the states uh no they're u.s okay. they all uh are researchers at various u.s universities cool okay so this is kind of where you're yeah. getting so, your info from yeah so this is where i get like all of my covid related information so if you are 
you know, the type of person who likes to get information uh, and likes to hear actual information firsthand as opposed to like reading news sources. And you have like a couple hours every like two times a week to spare, I highly recommend it. So this week in virology. So uh, as for the initial lockdown, uh, I knew that it was going to last longer than, you know, 14 days to slow the spread. Um, The people who said that were just, I don't know, either misinformed or lying to you. Okay. I knew that it was going to last. (laughs) (laughs) Rip Bonnie Henry. Uh, who is our yeah. in our province she's like our representative for the virus right now and she does gives us reports every like night being like guys numbers are spreading mm-hmm. anyway sorry yeah but no I knew it was going to last a long time I knew that it wasn't going to be you know a quick fix especially if we want to have some semblance of an economy for you know the 10 months that we would have had to stay locked down for in order to prevent the spread. So, okay. So like, was the serve concerning to you? Because part of me was like starting to kind of like. Sorry, Hannah. Can you hear me now? I can't hear you. Okay. Sorry. I feel like, okay. So for anyone who didn't just hear what I said, like the serve. So that was a Canadian emergency response. Uh, benefit that the that Canada gave out to all Canadians and it was like a sum of money each month to kind of keep us because all of us weren't working it was like to help us pay our bills and our rent and things um that began to worry me because that was like a lot of people were getting that and that was like a lo- like a lot of money going out the door and I was like there's no way we're gonna come out of this with no like repercussions like that was what began to worry me and I was like holy moly like they they can't afford to do this for that long but then how long does it take to stop a virus so was that not like worrying to you or do you just kind of be like eh, like they'll figure it out like they're the government kind of thing or yeah well so the Trudeau like not to get political I am like I will before this, uh, this I guess now that we're already in the COVID section, I will make a disclaimer in case my uh, my AOC <laughs> plug wasn't enough for you. Um, like I do self-identify as like a leftist mm-hmm. or a social democrat. So, like if you think that some of the things that I'm saying are partisan, I'm gonna do my best to be like nonpartisan and just say like facts, but. Okay, so, like, the the CERB and how they were just, like, flooding us with money. Right. Like, there was at one point, like, more than they were saying we were going to get, people were all getting. Like, you know what I mean? They were flooding people with money. It was insane. Yeah. So, I think that when considering an economic shutdown like Canada went through during the early months of the pandemic in the kind of March, March and August months, that... CERB is CERB or some sort of like direct cash payments to unemployed and struggling people is something that is absolutely necessary because if you close the economy, then you're telling people that they can't work. So if you're telling people that they can't work, then you have to provide them some sort of monetary support. So CERB made sense to me and I think that it kind of served as a 
maybe a wake up call to the people who weren't taking it so seriously as like this is something that we're gonna have to be dealing with for a little while it's not something that's just gonna go away um so i think serb serb was important for uh serb was important Mm -hmm. for the canadian response even if it might have like made people Mm -hmm. feel nervous and the trudeau government is like like this is something that the conservatives love to talk about is like the trudeau government has run a deficit like an 18 billion dollar deficit every year um but this year is a little bit different because it's yeah it's not the time for austerity you you see austerity you want to see austerity you look at the states they weren't even Um, doing an emergency benefit at first they've had very little they've had very little direct relief for people they've sent out one twelve hundred dollar uh stimulus check the entire pandemic um people are starving people are mm-hmm. being evicted uh up to 30 20 percent of households depending on the state uh between 10 and 40 percent of households are behind on rent uh and could yeah. be facing an eviction if eviction protections are lifted so that's a prime example of what you do if you don't support enough people, if you don't support people through the pandemic and through lockdowns like okay. this. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, I know, I think the point that you made about it being like a wake-up call was very interesting because I, I, I know like in at least my circle of friends, like in people that I spoke to a lot throughout the pandemic, like that was kind of the thing. Like at first they were like, oh my God, like a free two grant for the government a month. Like, and then by month two, they were like, Oh, this is like, because I, I have no other money coming in. Like, but for this check, I myself personally would not be living where I'm living. Cause I would have been literally evicted. Like if for all, like they, uh, are at least our province was like, uh, they stopped us having, from having to pay our car insurance for a month or two, like, because they need to give us like a break. And I was like, this is a big sign that like, we are in kind of deep shit. And it's not just like, <laughs> you know, cause I think at first I was like, like my birthday was going to be in June. So I was like, okay, by my birthday, there is a good chance I could be able to have some friends over. Like while that did end up being true, um, there about a month before I was like, this is not happening. Like I was, you know, like it, it just kind of hit like this without a vaccine in my mind, it was not going to go away, which I think is now kind of maybe reigning true is what we're seeing, but we'll talk about that in a few questions. But I just like, I think at first I was definitely like, Oh, it's going to be May. Like we'll be set. And then by two weeks in, I was like, there's no way. Um, okay. So at first I'm just going to jump a question before I know you probably have it in a different order, but Corbin is such a good podcast guest. He prepped answers. Um, was herd immunity ever truly going to work? A lot of people were saying that at first, like enough, if, if enough of us were to get it, we'll be fine. How, what, what do you think about that? Uh, it's total bullshit. So let me tell you okay. why. So there's something called the the Great Barrington okay. Declaration. So it was like a like op-ed style like piece written by somebody who basically said don't shut down the economy, just let it rip through uh the population so that we can build herd immunity and create uh and then we don't have to shut down the economy because we'll have herd immunity. So in order to get herd immunity, you require roughly 80% uh, of people to 
have immunity to the virus. So let me tell you why herd immunity is not possible. And I'll use the states as an example, although Sweden mm-hmm. is also a good example because they're arguably the two countries who kind of took the herd immunity approach as okay. opposed to the lockdown approach. So uh, I don't have data on Sweden in front of me, but I do have okay. data on the U.S. in front of me. What's your source? What's so your source? on average... <laughs> Oh, shit, I don't remember. I expected more. I'll edit this uh, out. No, I'm sorry. I'm bad. I'm bad. Um, well, I mean, the the source on deaths is uh, just Google, but the source on zero prevalence is uh, yeah, there is sure. a paper out there that. And here's the thing: it's pretty out in the open. Prevalence. Like everyone knows so who's I dying and who's it... not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, so seroprevalence is the, the, the prevalence or the occurrence of COVID-19, or not COVID-19, sorry, uh, SARS-CoV-2 antibodies in uh, a patient's blood. So co- SARS-CoV-2 is the virus itself. COVID-19 is the disease that is caused by the virus. So if you're symptomatic and like you're, you're sick with SARS-CoV-2, then you have COVID-19. But if you're asymptomatic, then you're just infected by SARS-CoV-2. You don't have COVID-19. So the seroprevalence for SARS-CoV-2 antibodies, which is a way to detect whether or not a person has been infected by the virus, uh, is that about, on average, uh, less than 10% in the United States. So the United States has less than 10% seroprevalence and nearly 290,000 deaths. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) let's say it took 300,000 deaths to get to 10% seroprevalence. In order to get herd immunity, you need to multiply that by eight, let's say. So that's 2.4 million Americans who would have to die in order to reach herd immunity. That would be a death rate. That would be uh, about 0.7% of Americans who would have to die in order for the U.S. to reach herd immunity. So that's why the herd immunity argument is bullshit, unless you are okay with 2.4 million Americans dying. Uh, yeah. In terms of deaths, uh, two hundred ninety. So like not even just over one ten percent of that. Right. Uh, yeah. So if you were to multiply it by eight, roughly eight times. So let's say. So right now, seroprevalence of uh, SARS-CoV two antibodies is at less than ten percent. So round both of those numbers up: three hundred thousand deaths for ten percent seroprevalence. And then if you want to get that up to 80% seroprevalence, you multiply the seroprevalence by 80 from 10, or sorry, 8. So from 10 to 8, then you would also multiply the deaths by 10 to 8. Or by by 8, sorry. So then you'd go from 
Three hundred thousand. Could you imagine, like, or yeah, and who? How many million. have already died? Roughly, like, the calculations, insane. the calculations wouldn't work out perfectly that way because the most mm-hmm. susceptible people die first. But it's a it's a good approximation, and it gives you a good idea, even if it's two million. You know, how many deaths are you willing to accept for and for some uh, herd immunity for something that is like to be honest, it it is somewhat preventable like actually it's quite preventable like if you were to be exposed and you quarantine like there is a certain point where you just will not be spreading that virus because you will not have it anymore you know what i mean like that's what kind of kills me is like people are like well people Mm -hmm. are like gonna get it if they get it and i'm like well no that's the whole point of quarantining and masking is like if you have it and you don't spread it nothing will come from that you know what i mean like um okay so wait like with that being said like Thoughts on anti-maskers, people who think it's a normal flu, people who don't want their rights infringed on. Do you have any, do their claims have any validity to you? Uh, well, the people who think it's a normal flu are just like, like I have no words. Even uh, President Trump said that he knows that it's not a normal flu in those uh, secretly recorded tapes mm-hmm. that were released when he was talking about COVID back in or SARS-CoV-2 back in February or March or whatever it was, he told the reporter, like, I know it's not a normal flu. So it's not, it's not a normal flu. It has a a higher death rate, higher transmissibility. Yeah, super contagious. And it really attacks you. Like it, people, like I know a couple people who have gotten it and who have quarantine stuff and they're like, it hits you very weird. Like each case is kind of different. Like each case you're feeling something like really weird and intense and it's not really, it really doesn't hit you like a normal flu either. Like for some, there are the cases where it's like it came and it went, but whatever. But for, for some, it is like this really weird, intense, like two days, like, am I going to die? Like you physically cannot breathe for some of those days. And that's like not normal. Like, I've gone to work mm-hmm. with the flu before. Like, obviously, in years past. Like, I've worked with the flu. I have seen people with the flu. And, like, fine. You know what I mean? Never again. Yep. Yeah. And that's, like, that's not to consider, like, the death rate versus the rate of, um, like, uh, like, the mortality rate. So, the death rate versus the morbidity rate, which is the, like, injury and long-term disease that that's the morbidity rate from covid okay yes so the morbidity rate is significantly higher so the number of people who are maybe discharged from hospital but uh like are unable to mm-hmm. get out of bed to pee because they're you know they might be virus free but the virus has had such a toll on their their heart or their digestive system or their lungs uh or their nervous system that they they can't function like normal people anymore so you hear shit like that and you're like who is like this so, is just the flu yeah so in the vein of like the kind of anti-mask like infringing on my rights like don't tread on me type people uh it's like first i just want to say that it's stupid i was waiting for that i was like i'm the only one um, yeah i need you to say that yeah yeah. Uh, and there's well-documented cases of curtailing, quote-unquote, rights during crises, whether those crises be war or, um, like, or, prevent- or like, uh, like, health crises. There's, 
uh, at least in Canada, we have protections for, or we have, we have the right to, like the government has the right to impose things like mask mandates or, um, or the provincial health officer technically has uh, the power to bypass the elected officials to mandate certain health restrictions during a really? health crisis. So yeah, this is something that uh, a recent controversy from Alberta, where the uh, the premier was neglecting the advice of their provincial health officer. And there were secret recordings taken of one of the meetings. And it came out that the like the provincial government was neglecting the recommendations of the health officer uh, because of people like anti-maskers or like more rights type people. Um, and people like provincial health officers do have the power to bypass elected in, officials. In, so in the case so, of a health crisis. Okay. Correct. They can't do it all the time. But, you know, in the case where the provincial government has declared a crisis, then they are provided the power. For okay, that. that's I actually did not know that. That's quite interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so. But yeah, anti-masking is is dumb because <clears throat> it's not even to protect you. It's to protect well, the people the thing, around like, you. I kind of hate that we're using that argument of like my rights being infringed upon because I mean, I know this makes me sound like incredibly like left saying this, but there are people who genuinely have their real rights, like genuine civil rights infringed on every single day in different parts of the world, right? In our own country up mm -hmm. until a few years ago, lots of different people, right? Had their rights infringed upon. And th these were like civil rights, like rights to live, rights to, right? Yeah, exactly. Even today. Thank you, even today. And then like, you're going to, complain over a mask and use the my rights excuse like I know that makes me sound incredibly like whatever but I just have a problem with that because I'm like this is it, like you said it doesn't have to do with you at all like doing a mask like or sorry doing wearing a mask like what genuinely does that impose on your life like you don't get sick from wearing a mask you don't get hurt from wearing a mask like it is specifically you can still Again, breathe. Again, they even said, like, oh, for sure, like, do a shield. People have run marathons. People have run ultra marathons wearing surgical masks. Really? Physicians True. wear surgical masks for 16-hour surgery. Yeah, I, I know. I love that argument. You know? I'm like, well, your if you think probably that... operated on your whatever, wore a mask for however long the operation took. So literally, like, don't even argue right now. Yeah. If you think that the surgeon is... You know, that masks are ineffective, you know, just next time ask your surgeon not ask to wear a mask. Ask him not to wear a react. surgery gown, like freaking surgical gloves, like ask him not to wear any PPE, like you'd feel unsafe. Exactly. Because you're being protected from whatever they're bringing to you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't want your, your doctor to spit in your, your open. No. Uh, like no. abdominal cavity, you know? So why would you want someone why would you want to be spitting in someone else's mouth why would you want someone else i love also that they're mouth? like oh for sure like face shields like go put one on like that's now the the new argument like if you don't want to wear a mask like put on a face shield because it's very hard to argue with that because it's not really it's like even more 
It doesn't restrict exactly. your airway. Like no one with asthma can really argue that anymore, which I think was like everyone's main, like everyone all of a sudden had asthma. Did you notice that? Like when the pandemic hit, I was like, really? I didn't know you yeah. had asthma. Like all these people had asthma. And now the fact that we're able to wear shields, I think is like such a good counter argument. Like there's really, there really is no excuse unless you're under the age of two. Like, honestly, to which you're going to pull it off because you're a baby. Like, are you a baby? No. Yeah. You yeah, like, I'm sorry. Do you literally not know any better? <laughs> True. Then put no, a mask exactly. On. Which, again, then, if you didn't know any better, like, that's a general accepted excuse. No, it's Allow true. me to educate you. <laughs> Just, like, go follow Corbin Noll, DM him, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Shameless plug, Corbin underscore Noll. Well, we're Instagram at it. Hannah underscore Anna McNabb. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, for our next question, let's kind of jump into uh, how people were kind of advising. Like when, so like I mentioned, Corbs and I live lived on an island. Like we live in British Columbia, but for myself, I live on an island. People were saying we should uh, stop the ferries from coming in and kind of like do the Australian approach and like the New Zealand approach and stop all flights in, anything in, close our borders. What do you say to that argument? Are there any flaws with it? I mean, it's not a bad idea, but it worked with New Zealand because New Zealand is a small country. So New Zealand has less than 5 million people. They are relatively spread out. They are an island. So they can really well control who comes in, who goes out, what people do when they're there. So... Uh, Jacinda Ardern, who's the New Zealand Prime Minister, okay. uh, she really did do an excellent job with dealing with uh, New Zealand's COVID um, Like They had no new cases for months. Exactly. So they had exceptional contact tracing. They had exceptional testing capacity uh, very quickly after the pandemic started. Um, and they also had a mandatory quarantine for visitor- visitors. So I know that mandatory quarantine sounds like, yeah, whatever, everybody has mandatory quarantines, but this is a government supervised mandatory quarantine. So this is where, uh, like, there are hotels, hotel rooms for travelers who come in and you are going into the hotel room and you are not leaving for 14 days meals are left outside of your door type of you are not leaving that room or having human contact for 14 days same with australia so gavin and i were talking about today on the episode that dropped uh australia was that do any flights coming in like they had a connecting hotel that was just you just got put up in there and that was it yeah so australia was really struggling uh like i know certain areas of australia were recently like maybe a month month and a half ago really really struggling with exponential growth and they had to endure another severe lockdown like the you can only leave your house for groceries style lockdown uh which is what uh new zealand did at the beginning and well that's why they they were able to uh get their their covid case count to zero So that's part of the reason why Australia has also done so well is because in those hotspot areas, they've uh, created very strict lockdown conditions uh, and then followed that up with 
good contact tracing, good testing, and good quarantine practices. Okay. So in a country like Canada, I'm not going to say that it's unreasonable to expect that. But we are huge. Like, I, I get what you're saying, that we're yeah. massive. So, but, okay, but know, people were making the argument, Corbs, not to interrupt you, but I'm, no, I am. But, like, course. people were saying that Vancouver Island should be doing that. But I feel like they can't derive from all of BC. It's, like, BC as a whole or BC not at all. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, so, um, like, Bonnie Henry, as Hannah mentioned earlier, is our provincial health officer. She has since uh, recommended uh, to or not recommended, but requested that people not travel between health districts. So between larger regions of BC, which includes basically traveling from the island to anywhere else or from anywhere else to the island. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that people aren't still going to travel, whether for family or for leisure or because they think the island is safer because um, I know that there was a time where the island had very, very low uh, case prevalence, and mm-hmm. they did have some of the ferries shut down. But we we did hit zero mm-hmm. for a small portion because the one case that we had was literally the same case for two months. He just got real sick for like two straight months, but he was our only case, and it was like, wow, like we did it. We are mini New Zealand, and then like obviously that kind of changed, but. At one point, we were doing exceptionally well. Yeah, so I think, like, if the island wanted to operate as its own little territory, perhaps it could have been possible. But there's no governing body for Vancouver Island. Mm -hmm. So there's no way that they really could have said, "Mm, this is our area and we don't want people coming in, like New Zealand can do. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to wider Canada, like, we are technically able to travel between provinces, even if it's not recommended. Yeah. And there's no quarantine. Um, Like there's no expected quarantine, which I find crazy. Yeah. Like I could go right now to Ontario and they'd be like, have at her. Like it's not recommended, but I don't have to quarantine when I get there, which I find really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like a, like a complete like border lockdown per se is, impossible to stop the spread within a country but in order for the like border style um like restriction measures and the strict quarantines like putting foreign travelers in hotels and stuff um it's not really realistic to expect that to have an effect on the spread if you're not also addressing the spread within the populace that's already within the country with a incredibly strict lockdown. Okay. That was a few words from Dr. Corbin old. I'm just kidding. It literally sounds like your doctor with how you're addressing us. Um, okay. So My next question, I'm jumping ahead from what I'm sure you have in your notes, but are there any restrictions that you feel are overkill um, or to kind of add on to that, that you feel are counterproductive from other restrictions that we have in place? What pops into my mind is the school system being open, but not like other places. Like, you know what I mean? That we have in British Columbia. We'll kind of dive more into that, like 
as we talk, I'm sure. But in British Columbia, there are certain restrictions that uh, counterproduct, I feel, others. But I'm interested to hear, to hear your perspective. Could you give me some examples? Okay. So uh, our school system from grades kindergarten up until grade 12, uh, schools are open. Masks are not mandatory inside the classroom, but they are at lunch, which I'm going to be honest here. I know a lot of high school students do not follow yet. Um, we, I think we had to close fitness classes the other day. Like my brother plays on a junior team, junior B, pardon me, hockey team. Uh, he's no longer allowed to play. He can't play other teams, uh, even though they're in different dressing rooms and are wearing like fully face guarded cages. That's not allowed to happen. Yet he goes to school with, you know, however many other kids, and that's completely fine. In my mind, that sounds kind of productive, but I want to hear your opinion. Okay. That's, that's like one example. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple things that, there's a couple factors that are considered when trying to decide what to shut down and what to keep open. So studies have shown that transmission within schools isn't really happening and where the transition is mostly happening is outside like quote-unquote school related events like people hanging out or birthdays because people cognitively they go schools are open therefore things are relatively normal therefore I can like my kid can have a birthday party or they can go to you know like drop in gymnastics or I don't know whatever you're into um, but the issue with that is that you, you need to look at where transmission is happening. So if transmission is happening in, uh, instances where you have team sports occurring or you have indoor fitness classes occurring, but you're not seeing a lot of transmission happening within schools, then perhaps the thing to shut down is the air like the the areas where transmission is happening like the indoor fitness classes or the the group like the team sports and not the schools okay. another issue with shutting down the schools like yes you could say you could argue that perhaps schools and bars maybe should be put on equal footing because you have people clustered in a space who may be somewhat socially distanced but interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. And you could say that they're the same thing, but they don't serve the same societal function. So excellent point. So schooling, online schooling, uh, perhaps some of you listening are going through online university schooling, and you know that it is not the same quality of education that you're getting uh, compared to an in-person schooling. Now, Couple this with high school and low-income individuals who may have disproportionately low access to technology for online schooling. They're, if schooling moves online and their parents can't afford to have a separate laptop for every student, uh, like every school-aged child in their household, you know, some of these people might have three, four kids who need to be attending class at the same time, mm -hmm. then it's also a discussion about income inequality and whether online schooling is negatively affecting these students who don't have access to the same online schooling resources 
that wealthier kids might have access to. So that's why it's really important to keep schools open and prioritize schools as opposed to other forms of businesses like um, like fitness or uh, like restaurants. Bars, yeah. yeah. And I think another point that has kind of come to my mind is like childcare. Like not that that's what school is, but in another sense, it is a place to put your child for what, six and a half, seven hours during the day. Like if your child is like 12 and under and they can't care for themselves, like you send your kid to a school with their lunch, you know, that they're going to be watched for seven hours while you, maybe your work isn't all online. So you are asked to come back into the office. You can't stay with your kid. So in another sense, not only is it quality of education, it's like free childcare provided by the government. Like I think for, you know, I have, I find myself being like, oh, like schools are open. That makes no sense. But also I'm like, actually it does because if both parents are working, that means there's zero people to be watching the kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I do like now see the logic in that argument. Um, and like so you, be- question- you Sorry, behind the camera or uh, listening can't see me fervently bobbing my head. And this is part of what in Canada, the NDP have really been fighting for. So if you're not sure of the political landscape in Canada right now, the ND, or sorry, the Liberals have a minority government. So that means they need the support of either the Conservatives or the NDP government or uh, party in order to continue their, their like political reign in order to yeah. prevent an election. And recently we had a vote of confidence for the Liberals back in, I think, October. And the NDP voted uh, in confidence with the Liberals on the condition that the Liberals work to provide or to create a universal childcare system. So this is kind of in the same vein that Hannah was just talking about, where perhaps people are able to go to work during the pandemic, but because schools are closed, they have nobody to take care of their children Mm -hmm. and to like watch their young school-aged children and so they're unable to go to work so like yes it's bad that we view uh grade school as child care but that is an aspect of it for working class families Mm -hmm. but I mean also like that's our reality like it's not even like I mean, every, besides the homeschooled population, every kid goes to school from ages five until they graduate. That is childcare for the first seven to eight years. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's someone watching and responsible. Like when, if your kid got, you know, lost, you go to the teacher, right? Like it's, it's childcare. They're your child babysitter who also happens to provide an education. So, and I think that would cause another like snowball, like, okay, well you can't go to work because you have to watch your kid. Mm -hmm. You can't make money. Where's your serve? Right. Exactly. So I think in a way this is preventing another but then, major lockdown like what we saw in March. You know yeah, what I mean? But then like school, schools were the first thing to open, were they not? I think they were in May. They were the first thing to open. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I think schools did reopen if I I know that feels like two years ago, but I, I feel both like both my parents are high school teachers, so I should really know this. <laughs> True. Um, I believe school and it was it was obviously very moderate, like they went to school like two days a week, but it was they, still they, doing that. That was one of the first things to kind of kickstart the restart of the pandemic was schools. And then from there we obviously went to restaurants. 
businesses, right? Yeah. Um, I feel, okay, so, to, uh, sorry, we're going to say something because I have a point after. Go for it. I don't okay. remember. So I have uh, multiple friends who like have younger siblings and they're like, oh, well, because they go to school with their friends, they count as the same like cohort so they can hang out outside of school, which to me kind of counter product or counter acts the whole point of keeping schools open, which is like you were just saying, like there's less transmission in schools. There's more transmission outside of schools. So I feel like people hanging out with their hanging out with their school group outside of school is a lot like more intense than they would be in school, therefore leading to more transmission. Am I right with saying that? Yeah. So that's kind of what I mentioned earlier, where people think that it's kind of business as usual because we do have schools back open. So they're having birthday parties or they're having like group hangouts or group sports uh, or doing ex participating in in in-person extracurricular activities. So because they think, oh yeah, like school's on, so everything else is on. But in school, you're masked up, you're socially distanced, sitting at your desks, or, you know, even if you're not masked up, uh, you're, you're not wearing a mask, but you're not moving around. So you're not interacting with people. Sorry, Hannah, you're super quiet again. I can't hear you. No. 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 Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, my volume was down. Sorry, <laughs> All good. Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. I can't wait to edit this out later. Yep. Um, like Bonnie Hammer was saying, like, because risk is so low outside, making the kids wear masks at recess is pointless. So I think that's like another factor to consider it to, to think about is like when they're in school, they're in a seat. Yeah. Usually not moving yep. when they're in gym. It's going to be outside when they're on the playground. It's outside. Like the two biggest places where they're in, there's no transmission. Yeah. So, but then if like you get on point here, but then you're, you're together after school, you know, you go, Oh, like we just had, you know, three hours of class together. Let's go hang out. Except we're going to sit right next to each other on the couch playing video games. And we're not going to wear a mask. And we're going to like share drinks or something. I don't know what totally. teenage people do. Yeah, we're so I'm, I'm an old person. Excuse me. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So like that people are seeing that uh, or the epidemiologists are seeing that that is where transmissions happening, not necessarily in schools. So it's bad to think that way. Uh, I think that's an interesting point that I did not think of because I know I was wondering if the argument being like, well, schools are open, but like my brother's hockey team isn't, but you're so right. Like the hockey teams are sharing dressing rooms. They're sharing tour buses to go to different cities. Like you are very right. There is a lot more risk of transmission. And that's the thing. Like, the point And it's of not even school- just about transmission. It's also about priorities. So like kids who like, you can't have kids missing, you know, six months of grade school that will set them back you know potentially years in their uh in their like life education parents are not teachers like they're just not they have their own lives they have their own priorities they can't be responsible for teaching your kid math that's why you go to school because you have a teacher yeah so that okay yeah that's a okay that's a good point okay Um, my whole my whole see that's why i have you on because you change perspectives you bring new light 
I'm um, here. To, I'm here to present the facts. Uh, okay, so does it worry you, Corb? Like how quickly a vaccine was created? Like our future repercussions, flaws. I know there are so many arguments for people being like, when a vaccine comes out, I will not be the first one to get it because of X, Y, and Z. Like, what are your thoughts? Um. So I really trust the companies that have produced the vaccines, uh, especially like the like the U.S. and American companies, like the ones that have released their recent phase three clinical trial data in mm-hmm. press releases. So that would be uh, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson have been- Johnson kind of & Johnson came out with one? Yeah. So those are the four that are under, uh, currently being looked at by Health Canada and the FDA for approval. Okay. So I'm- pretty sure i don't know when but i believe pfizer has been approved not Uh, yet are you sure yeah okay okay i do trust you but i just on another podcast i listen to it's not a medical one but pfizer had been approved and like they're looking to roll out these vaccines in in, like weeks not in canada in the states though like so in the u.s the fda will is deciding on the 10th for pfizer they're deciding on december of December. They're deciding on the 17th for Moderna because Moderna put in their uh, EUA or emergency use authorization um, request a week later. So they're being reviewed a week later. Uh, But uh, back to your original question, I don't have any really like concerns per se about the vaccine because it was fast-tracked. So the way that this vaccine was fast-tracked was less, not even less, but it was not about skipping steps and it was more about combining steps. So many of these vaccines had combined phase uh, one, two, or combined phase two, three clinical trials. Okay. So... Uh, the way drug vaccines and drugs are uh, approved in the developed world, and I assume in the rest of the world as well, uh, is they undergo kind of four stages of clinical trial. The first stage is the preclinical trials, which are done in animal models, just to as investigational studies to make sure that what you're putting in the animal is not going to A, kill the animal, or B, is going to be at least somewhat effective. Okay. So then phase one clinical trials are done in a very small cohort of people, uh, usually only around 20 people. And these are healthy volunteers uh, who volunteer to accept this drug, whatever it may be. And they're looking for severe side effects. So like really severe side effects or like, like basically things that would be disqualifiers for the drug. Okay. Uh, phase two is looking for wider side effects, usually happens in a couple hundred per- volunteer participants uh, and is looking for wider side effects and like, you know, just generally things that you don't want to have happen to people uh, who take whatever drug you're producing. And then the phase three clinical trials, which are 
what is being reported now and what has been started kind of in the July range for many of these uh, vaccines that are being or that are going to be approved in like late December or early January. Okay. And the phase three clinical trials look at efficacy. So how good the, in this case, the vaccine is at protecting people from SARS-CoV-2 infection or uh, COVID-19 disease. So I don't really have any concerns about the vaccine because okay. these stages were combined. So this phase, for example, a phase one, two clinical trial would be looking at, you know, maybe 200 people to see, does this vaccine kill anybody? Does this give, does this vaccine give anybody, you know, like horrible disease or side effects? If the answer is no, you move on to phase three clinical trials to look for primarily efficacy. Yes, there's going to be, like, there is a degree of looking at side effects or unanticipated consequences of the disease. But um, the, the speed at which the vaccine was produced is not the concerning part. So uh, a little bit about vac the vaccine technologies that are being used here. So Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca, all three of them are using, uh, and possibly Johnson & Johnson as well, although I know a little bit less about their vaccine than the other three that I just That's mentioned. Great. So Pfizer and Moderna are both using, uh, Pfizer, Pfizer and Moderna are using the same vaccine platform. And then AstraZeneca is using another vaccine platform. All three of those are new vaccine platforms. And they're, they're not something that has been used in a widespread vaccine in humans before. Okay. So the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are mRNA based. Excuse MR me. mRNA what? mRNA based. So okay. messaging, messenger RNA, uh, ribonucleic acid. So it's, okay. it's just the type of molecule. So the messenger RNA codes for a certain protein that the virus has and that your body recognizes when you get infected with the virus. Okay. So then when you inject this vaccine into your body, it delivers the mRNA into the cell, or like into your, your body cells, and your body cells produce this protein, which then allows your body to create uh, an, an immunity, to create okay. antibodies against this protein, which then when you get infected with it, allows the antibodies to recognize the virus and kill it, essentially. Okay. So that's how the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines work. Okay. Um, and while they are new technologies, they're significantly more advanced than what we've been previously using for vaccines. So most vaccines are either attenuated viruses, which means that they're weakened forms of the virus that originally infects us. So that usually means that they've been passaged or um, repeatedly grown over and over and over again in chicken eggs. So that's a common way where we produce uh, flu vaccines what? is we grow them in chicken eggs. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. 
Um, and then growing them repeatedly in chicken eggs will make them less uh, virulent or like less like bad for human infections, which is why sometimes when you get a flu vaccine, you still get a little bit sick because yeah. you're, you're getting a live virus. Just a very like weakened just, version just of a, it. Just a very weakened version of the virus that your body will be able to utilize to protect you against the aggressive version. So that's the normal version of vaccines. But here with the mRNA vaccine, all you need is the genomic, uh, the nucleotide sequence. So the ATCNG sequence of the... My brain's like exploding. Of, of the protein for the virus. Okay. And okay. the company can take this sequence like from a computer, from a lab that has uploaded this data from China, say... And they can transform the sequence into a piece of messenger RNA, mRNA. And that is what's used as the vaccine. So you can create it a lot faster and you can produce it a lot faster compared to traditional vaccines. So to in the COVID-19 vaccines that will be coming out, you're saying that there's not going to be any live virus, like a typical flu vaccine. There Correct. won't be any live virus. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so... Um, just because the vaccine was fast-tracked doesn't mean that it's going to be unsafe okay. because they're still doing the full phase three clinical trial. Right now, they've only been approved for emergency use, which means that not everyone's going to get access to it. Only people who it's deemed uh, more of a benefit Necessary. than a risk. So those okay. would be uh, like first responders, healthcare providers, and essential workers. Okay. And then uh, true uh, phase three clinical trial data, uh, they usually follow them for up to 24 months, like 24 plus months. So two okay. years to look for side effects and efficacy. Of course, that's not going to happen here because we need the vaccine to be rolled out to the public as quickly as possible. But that's not to say that just because the vaccine didn't take 10 years from creation to mass market approval, that it's going to be unsafe. Okay. Um, would you say, this is kind of, I know you didn't probably prep for this one, but would you say that this is different than how like drugs are created? Because I know that, I forget what it was, but I believe it was like a, firm, a form of birth control in like the 50s or the 60s. That Thalidomide. They were, like, Thank you. They were like doling out. And then when these people had their kids years later, they were like missing arms and like limbs. Yeah. And... So I don't remember exactly what thalidomide was meant to treat. What, oh, sorry, no. Wasn't okay. It, so what it was, it was, it was, um, it was morning uh, sickness. Thank you. It was like nausea and yeah. like first trimester problems, correct? Yeah. It was a morning sickness treatment. And uh, ironically enough, it only had negative effects on pregnant women so it would it would cause your fetus to be horrifically deformed and underdeveloped yeah uh in the end uh thalidomide would but in people who are not pregnant it's incredibly effective but in people who are pregnant which is you know the people that they were targeting the drug for literally you know morning sickness like who gets morning sickness other than pregnant people nobody um, and then it was, you know, essentially 
like ruining the 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 mother's fetus yeah so that's a a prime example of where a clinical trial is incredibly important because the clinical trial showed that this drug has damaging effects to fetuses and that's why uh, the vaccine, even when it gets an emergency use authorization from Health Canada or the FDA, it won't be approved for use in pediatric patients. So people under the age of 18, because it hasn't been tested in people under the age of 18. And we know that uh, pediatric patients can have different reactions to different drugs. Uh, same with pregnant women. If you're not testing the vaccine in pregnant women, then you can't give the vaccine to pregnant women. Which nobody probably would. I don't feel like any pregnant woman would be offering up their body for this vaccine trial. I, you know I mean? can't say. I, like, I don't know whether Why or not. Why should we meet in a few years? I don't know whether me. or not uh, any pregnant women have been included in the clinical trials. But I know that uh, the Pfizer and Moderna clinical trials, like the two big ones that are being looked at by the FDA right now, have uh, made an effort to include minorities. So a historic issue in the past with any sort of drug approval is that people would use, like companies would use straight white men as their clinical trial participants. And as I'm sure you know, straight white men are not representative of the greater global population. You need to include minority populations. You need to include women in clinical trials because uh, these different uh, different races and different sexes will have different reactions to different drugs. Yeah. So it's important to include uh, a diverse people in clinical trials. And that's what was done uh, here, which is excellent. So with what I can take from what you just said, like, does that mean that uh, it'll be a hot minute before basically any like one under the age of 18 will be given this vaccine? If like, ever. How long are you saying that they have to wait before they can give anyone in high school this vaccine? They would have to do a clinical trial looking at like a phase three clinical trial looking at the efficacy in pediatric patients. So people under the age of 18. That's okay. not not really something that people that uh, the companies have been aggressively pursuing because the priority right now are those first responders and frontline workers and healthcare uh, workers, mm-hmm. and that's who the emergency use authorization is targeting. Which uh, is also eighteen plus. I feel like, like yes, you know what I mean. Like yes, you don't see any like sixteen year old first responders. You know exactly. What I mean? Okay, interesting. Oh my God, I'm learning so much. I was just so like, I mean, I, I feel like everyone is waiting for this vaccine. So there's some people who are like, okay, like why haven't we yet received this vaccine? And there's some who are like, this is too fast. So I think it's interesting to kind of like dissect what it means like for a vaccine to actually be created, you know? Yeah. And I think in our current climate of vaccine hesitancy, that I think that Trump's choice of naming of warp speed perhaps doesn't inspire confidence in people who might not be super confident in vaccinations to begin with because warp speed implies that things were 
crushed. Yeah. And, and it's and let me be clear, warp speed vaccines were not rushed. Warp speed vaccines were given extra public funding from the US government, which is why they were able to proceed more quickly. Um, and they had fewer barriers to uh, creation and clinical trials. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that warp speed means that anything in the process was rushed or anything in the process perhaps even would have occurred differently than it might have other than the combination of the early phase uh, side effect and safety trials. Okay, that is interesting to note. Um, And I also think it is worth noting that like the entire world is waiting with like, like everyone's holding their breath waiting for this vaccine. So I feel like there is in that, like, while people might be saying, well, that, you know, that's why it's extra rushed. And they're like, you know, that doesn't mean that they're probably skipping steps. They're probably taking extra care because they're like, if we were to screw this up, we have screwed up every country in the entire world. Uh Like everyone is waiting for this moment. You know what I mean? And like, that's, it's been that's also why we're not months. relying on one vaccine. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's why we have, we have four that are currently under review by the FDA and we have several more coming down the pipeline. Oh, such a crazy place where we are, where I thought we would have been like I months know. ago. You know what I mean? Um, to kind of jump into that, um, in your personal opinion, like what does the next 12 months look like? in Canada, at least to you, like in one year, where would we be with the virus? Are there any, um, no, that's all. I'm going to stop you there in 12 months. Where do you think we're going to be? So I think that we'll be continuing to see a little bit of this kind of yo-yoing I'm going to call it where you have restrictions and then you have loosening restrictions and then your case counts increase. So more instructions or restrictions are imposed and then your case counts go down, you know, kind of that yo-yoing. Okay. Uh, True Daddy, Mr. Trudeau, he he has said recently that he expects uh, over half of Canada to be vaccinated by the time September 2021 rolls around. So my mm-hmm. expectation is that we will be, you know, basically back to normal uh, around the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022. Okay. I did not realize he had, was that like a recent statement that he made? Uh, within the last, I want to say week, week and a half. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I try to listen to as many of his statements as possible, but there are, I mean, he updates us like every day or two. Like it's just, it's a lot to keep up with. Like Apple news, baby. All right. We get it. Okay. You and your AirPods, you got to chill. <laughs> um, okay. Does it, make you question big pharma like considering that a covid vaccine popped up within eight months and yet like a true cure for cancer or like a true true cure for hiv has been procured like i honey i think people are okay i know i'm about to look so dumb honey (laughs) let me educate you (laughs) Okay. okay so Uh, As part of my current co-op and also as part of the volunteering that I was doing the year previous, I was working in cancer research and I currently am working in cancer research. So cancer, people say cancer like it's one disease, 
but it's True. not. Cancer is a genetic disease. So it results from the mutation of uh, either one or a series of different genes within some of your cells, which cause cells to your own cells with your own DNA to grow out of control. So uh, it's hard to create a drug or a vaccine against your own cells because it's hard to distinguish between what is your healthy cells and what are your unhealthy cells that are growing out of control. So an example of a, excuse me, an example of a fairly successful uh, cancer treatment is CAR T cells. So that's what I, the industry that I currently work in. So chimeric antigen T cell, uh, yeah, chimeric antigen receptor T cells, CAR T cells. So what? cancer does that target so right now it can technically it can be created to or it can be modified to target any cancer type but right now it's most effective against non-solid tumors so those would be blood tumors leukemias and lymphomas so b cell tumors so b cells are a type of uh blood cell they're actually what produce your antibodies so you can create Uh, T-cells, which are killer blood cells, you can remove T-cells from a patient and give them a little, I'm going to call it a lock mechanism that will be able to recognize the cancerous B-cells based on one of the keys that the B-cells have on them. So the T-cell, we give the T-cell a key and it recognizes the B cell, and it kills the B cell, the cancerous B cell. Okay. But it also, because the cancerous B cell shares the same genome and some of the same uh, keys, or sorry, locks, as normal B cells, these T cells with the keys also kill the healthy B cells. It wipes out both. Because it's effectively impossible to distinguish between healthy and unhealthy uh, cells within the body. So that's why it's incredibly difficult to create a cancer, like let's say vaccine or treatment, because every cancer is, or not every cancer is different, but their cancers are a mosaic of diseases. So there are multiple different genetic mutations that can give rise to one quote-unquote type of cancer. Cancers are typed based on where they start, but where they start, they can have many different genetic causes for how they start, which is why it's really hard to target cancers, whereas something like uh, SARS-CoV-2, the mutation rate, while it may be Uh, constant and similar to a cancer cell mutation rate, the the spike protein in SARS-CoV-2, which is the protein that is on the outside of the virus, which is what attaches to your cells and helps it infect the cells, that can be very easily recognized by an antibody 
that can be created by a B cell, okay. uh, which we know how to make these spike proteins based on the genetic sequence that we can find from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And we can use this genetic sequence to build the protein that's on the surface of the virus. And we can give that protein to the B cell, which will then make an antibody, which will target the virus. So okay. it's much easier to create a universal, uh, to create a target that is universal because it's more one like to dumb the terms down like it's more one size fits all exactly is that easier okay yeah because the covid19 virus is it's all effectively all the same in everybody so you it's quite uniform with how it attacks and stuff correct? yeah and like and the shape you can think of it as the shape of the virus so the shape of okay. the virus is the same no matter who gets infected so you can create one package one vaccine that will be effective against the shape of the virus whereas okay. with a cancer every single person has a different has a slightly different shaped virus or uh cancer sorry so then you have to go in and if individually consider each single instance of cancer in each individual patient as its own separate disease instead of just lumping to them together as cancer, because even though we might have a common name for it, every cancer is different. True. That, that's a really good way to put it, I think, because I feel like when you hear like, oh, this person has cancer, or I have what, like, what, you know, whatever it is, like the, the word we all are associating with is, is, you know, cancer is bad, cancer hurts people, it kills people, mm -hmm. right? But like each cancer is broken down, like each type of cancer is broken down by severity, right? Level one, to level five. Each cancer is like relatively, it's also like its own, like a stage four breast cancer is not the same as like a stage four different type of exactly. cancer, right? It does like rank differently. So I feel like when I think more about that, I'm like, of course, there's literally no way to create like a, this perfect uh, treatment, this perfect uh, antibody because it doesn't exist because for each person, for each cancer, for each stage, it will affect differently. Mm -hmm. That's such a, okay. So basically people who, my follow-up question is people who are like, okay, uh, we can put a man on the moon, but we can't find a cure for cancer. That's bullshit. Like, what do you say to that? Is that, is that oversimplifying it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you know the underlying like, biological principles, it makes perfect sense why we don't yet have a quote unquote cure for cancer. It's because cancer is not one disease. You could, I could create a cure for Hannah's cancer, maybe, but it would cure mm -hmm. Hannah's cancer and nobody's nobody else's. Okay. Uh, I might be able to create a cure for uh, all of a certain type of cancer. For example, uh, all lymphomas, I can create a cure for all lymphoma cancers, but I need cells from the individual patient with lymphoma in order to cure their cancer. So I need to remove cells from your body, manipulate them, and then put them back in your body in order to get rid of your cancer. And that has to be done on an individual basis. So it's incredibly expensive, incredibly time consuming, a lot of work, and mm. it has to be individualized. 
And it's only possible for certain types of cancers, non-solid cancers, because the cells that we use to kill the cancer. So we use T cells to kill the cancers. We use another type of cell, T cell, to kill the cancer. And the T cells need to have access to the cancerous cells. So B cells float around the body. They're generally, they generally exist as individual cells so they can get access. But for example, with a a breast cancer or a lung cancer, you have these solid tumor masses, like little balls full of cells. And maybe the, uh, the killing T cell would be able to get to the outside ball of cells, but it wouldn't be able to get to the inside ball of cancerous cells that might then be able to uh, escape into a blood vessel and spread throughout the body. So that's why it's hard to cure all types of cancers, even with this new method. Okay. That, see, I, that was one of my personal questions too. Cause like, I feel like that was my first thought. Like when I even heard about a vaccine, I was like, well, this just makes no sense in my brain, but it's obviously a lot more complex. And I think I probably realized Um, okay. Well, thank you for clearing that up. I love, I also love how I'm like, we're not medical professionals, but like you literally may as well be because you know way more than me. Um, okay. So really quick, I just want to do this one as quickly as possible. Cause our next topic is like going to be so good mm-hmm. as well. Um, but this kind of, we're, we're going to do a part two with Corbin about controversial topics, but this one kind of ties into it a little, a little teaser, if you will. Um, if Canadian government demands that people become vaccinated with a COVID-19 vaccine, does that not infringe on like an anti-vaxxer's rights? Do you have an argument for or against that? Um, Obviously, anti-vaxxers have become a much more prominent community. Um, So demanding that everyone were to get a vaccine or as many people as possible were to get a vaccine to properly facilitate the country. What does that say? So overall, I think mandatory vaccination as a principle is a bad idea so okay uh like i'm very pro-science but i'm also like uh sort of a libertarian so i think that people should have the right to do what they want and they should have personal autonomy so that includes like if you want to do drugs you should be able to do drugs but if you want to not get a vaccine for yourself then you should also have the right to deny Uh, being injected with a foreign substance. Okay. So, and like, while, yes, I don't think that Canada should necessarily mandate vaccines or like BC should necessarily mandate vaccines, I think it is important to educate people about the vaccine because a lot of vaccine hesitancy actually comes from either misinformation or underinformation. So if you have people who, like, for example, uh, POC are much more likely to accept a vaccine if their doctor is also a person of color um, Mm -hmm. and is advocating for the vaccine and is using a scientific basis for telling the person why they or their child should be vaccinated as opposed to shaming somebody into vaccination. Like, I don't think shaming people is helpful and I don't think forcing people is helpful. And I think 
uh, having an open dialogue with people about their concerns about vaccination is, and having that open dialogue be with somebody that they trust is very important and is actually very helpful in improving vaccination rates. Uh, And one other thing is that I want to say that mandating masks is not equal to mandating a vaccination. I would agree. You're not injecting somebody with mask. You're asking them to simply add it to their overall protection, right? That's, I think, an argument that people will make. Like, they compare an uh, anti-masker to an anti-vaxxer. And for me, that really is two very separate things, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole idea of injecting a drug into your child's body, like that does obviously raise like some concern, right? Putting a mask over your face, like does not inject you with anything. So I'm like, it's less, uh, there's, there's less of a valid argument there for me. As yeah. Well. And like on the mandatory vaccination, I don't think that the government of Canada or any sort of government has the right to impose upon you the necessity to be vaccinated but individual companies if say uh like equinox a gym is says you must have proof of vaccination in order to enter the gym that's well within their rights to require Mm -hmm. you them as a private company to require you as a private citizen to be vaccinated against covid19 so um, to jump on that, so like a private school saying that you believe is different than a public school system who is funded by BC government is different. So for example, a very, pro- uh, very popular private school uh, in our hometown was called Aspen Grove. If, if Aspen Grove mandated uh, vaccines, is that different from our high school who is paid for by BC government? Is that different? This is somewhere where it's, 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 you're, you're, you're paying to go to that school, right? Like yeah. they, they could say no to you. Could they not? This is, some, well, so, uh, with a, a private school, I completely agree. They have the right to deny you entry to the school. If you won't follow their policies, they're, mm-hmm. they're a private school. They're allowed to set their own policies as they see fit. And you are allowed to abide by them or, uh, seek education somewhere else uh my personal preference for public education and public daycare is a little bit different because i i also think that public schools and daycares should require their the children to be vaccinated in order to receive in order to be eligible for public school or public what? vaccination. Yeah. That's my personal my personal position unless there is a legitimate medical reason for exemption. Uh for example, one of our English teachers, her uh granddaughters, she had a negative reaction to a vaccine and that yes. is a perfect uh example of someone who should be medically exempt from receiving vaccination. That's someone that would be benefited by herd immunity and everybody else being vaccinated. There are people yes. out there who, for whatever reason, because the, uh, the side effects are too severe uh, or whatever, 
have medical reasons for not being vaccinated. Anyways, that's that's a topic for later on. Um, you wanted to make a final point about vaccines and coronavirus, correct? Or was this your point that you wanted to make? You were going. I to think t- that was the point that, that the I point. wanted to make. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so maybe we'll leave this for like a vaccines will be continued on part two of this big episode. So one final question for you: Are there any conspiracies with COVID that you kind of like? thought about for a bit and were like, yeah, that has some validity or no, it doesn't. Like, were there any conspiracies where it made sense to you? Like, you know, the vaccine being created in a lab in China, like, is there validity to that? Or was this simply because a man ate a bat? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what conspiracies made sense and what didn't? Sure. So there is one conspiracy theory that I do subscribe to personally okay uh and it's not that the vaccine was made in a lab in china but that the and it's not that the virus was made in a lab oh wait sorry have i been saying that a vaccine that's not what i meant the virus was created in wow i'm definitely a more than two glasses in um the virus was created (laughs) in a lab is like a very very common conspiracy that a lot of people are buying into you're right it is a common conspiracy that the vaccine was uh genetically or sorry that the virus was genetically engineered by chinese researchers at a wuhan lab uh and while it may be true that there is a uh cl4 so uh clearance level four lab in china uh, in Wuhan, actually, uh, that does not mean that the vaccine that the virus was created in China, okay. or that was that it was created in the uh, in the lab. In fact, the genetic markers in the virus itself actually disprove this theory. Okay. However, uh, there is a considerable amount of evidence to support the fact that the virus was accidentally released from the Wuhan virology lab. So uh, between October 7th and October 24th, uh, according to cell phone data obtained by the US and UK uh, intelligence agencies. Cell phone data, that's what we're going off of. Yes, cell phone data. There was zero cell phone activity at a at the uh, CL4 virology lab in Wuhan, China, between October 7th and October 24th. So that's approximately two weeks, two and a half weeks, where there was nobody at this lab in Wuhan, China, where the outbreak originated from, prior to the first identified case of the virus mid-November. So, so spell this out for me. The fact there's no one there for two weeks, what does that mean? Like I'm not. So the I fact don't that there understand. was no one there for two weeks means that there was uh, most likely some sort of hazardous event, according to UK and US intelligence, uh. sometime between October 6th and October 11th, which resulted in effectively a boycott, quote unquote, of going to that Wuhan China lab between the 7th and the 24th. Which is, how many days is that? 
the the seventh to the twenty fourth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, seventeen days. Okay, which is a little more than what they're saying is like a quarantine period. But that sake. doesn't mean that it wouldn't be able to get out into the general pop- population. Totally. Within Wuhan, and that's not to say that the uh, that the virus was created or engineered by researchers within Wuhan. It's possible that they were merely looking at the virus uh, because coronaviruses such as SARS-CoV-2 and SARS-1, which came out of also China in 2002, uh, have pandemic potential, which is something that Bill Gates has identified. Yeah. Uh, you know, several years ago that coronaviruses have pandemic potential. So it's possible that this Wuhan lab was studying this uh, particular coronavirus as well as other coronaviruses. And Someone uh, they had some sort of safety breach where the vaccine or sorry, I keep saying vaccine, uh, where the, the where the virus had. Uh, escaped the lab, infect or possibly infected an individual, and then resulted in community spread in Greater Wuhan, which ultimately re- led to the pandemic that we're facing today. So, personally, that is the conspiracy theory that I am a big proponent of. I think that it actually happened. Well, uh, I mean, it kind of. I mean, that, that personally, that one does make the most sense. Exactly, but I don't think that it was necessarily engineered for. Uh, pandemic for yeah. a pandemic by Chinese researchers within Wuhan that uh, it, it's been debunked it makes no sense and also like I know like I mean I love how you literally just said it makes no sense and then here I am trying to make sense of it but my personal opinion was like because people have always said like if somebody wanted to bring down the world and like end right end the world like this literally has shown that like it's very very easy to shut down countries, right? Canada was shut down within a matter of weeks. Absolutely. Uh, don't you think they would have done this way sooner? Like, if they really, if they really, like, I mean, that's what I always think about. I'm like, this would have been done years ago because viruses have been around and overtaking populations since way before we were ever even born. So I think that argument is kind of like, well, I mean, this could have been done a lot sooner. So the fact that it's happening now doesn't really make my mind jump to like, this was for sure created in like a lab, but I find it interesting. Cause like, imagine what that, if this, if your theory is true, like that guy or whoever, or whoever was the one to accidentally spread it. Where, where is this man? Is he okay? Like, is he in hiding? Uh, no, no, he's dead. Do you think he's dead? Yes. Oh, I almost feel I bad. I think that the Chinese regime killed him. They, the same with the doctor who initially notified the the global community about the exactly the whistleblower the first whistleblower about the uh SARS-CoV-2 pandemic but bro like wasn't he trying to help like by doing that yes but the Chinese government wanted to cover it up they want no fault they claim no fault the Chinese regime can do no harm and therefore if you speak out against the Chinese regime you are going to be disappeared corp should we be saying this right now <laughs> it's fine we're in a free country fair okay also i would like to point out though all of our um like when we do our flu vaccine just last before we wrap up i'm sorry i keep going on but when we create when canada and when the u.s creates their flu vaccines we look at reports 
from China in like the spring. Like when we create a flu vaccine for the fall, we look in the spring reports because all flus like travel from that side of the earth around. Like that's just naturally how it occurs because of how their seasons change. So for me, like it's not that wild that this began in China because we take our flu vaccine reports from China. Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't scream like crazy to me because we've done that for years. We take the three most popular strains of a vaccine or pardon me of the flu. And we put that into our vaccine is what I meant to say every year. So the fact that this originated in China, isn't like, Oh my God, China. It's like, yeah, like that's where our flus have like, it just travels that way. Right. More strains are worse than the next Mm COVID-19 was a really fucking messy strain and this is where we're at now but i don't think it screams like china like you know like you know like this just that this happened and it happened to start in china like i don't think that's like a uh it started because of this it just it, it originated from there because that's what flus do yeah and i think that there may be a potential within china for a greater possibility of pandemic causing coronaviruses like you know we have seen two coronaviruses, two like p- pandemic potential coronaviruses out of China within the last 20 years. Um, yeah, SARS and uh, SARS-CoV-2. True. But that's not to say that, you know, China is like creating these in a lab and releasing these upon their own population in order to infect the global population. Well, I think that anybody who says that is, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what that. I'm like, ah, I don't know. That, that it, it almost sounds like ignorance. It's like you're looking yeah. for someone to blame. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I mean, Ebola that did not start in China. Like that started my in Africa. Africa. Yeah, yeah. We didn't all look at Africa and be like, "Screw you, you did that, right." Like it was just exactly. that it happened to start there, right? Yeah. This happened to start in China. Um. Okay. I cannot wait for next week's episode. Hi, everybody. Uh, It's Hannah just jumping back in here. Um, Obviously, I can tell that the audio just cut out a little bit at the end, but what can you do? Um, So Corbin and I actually kept on talking for another two hours and we went into a whole other subtopic that we just couldn't lump into one episode because it is just like it's honestly like really great conversation. And I just didn't want to like post a four hour four hour episode because I feel like that would kind of like lose people and I want people to really like value the conversation that they're hearing and like appreciate it not just have it all be thrown at you at once so with that being said I actually made this episode into two parts so if you want to go back to listen to part two um with Corbin wherever you found this podcast part two uh will have been posted so you can go listen there um and then that'll kind of be like the full like the full conversation that we had split into those two episodes if that kind of makes sense So thank you so much for listening. You've reached the end of this episode. Um, But again, if you want to go listen to part two, that would mean so much to me um, and to Corbin as well. Uh, But yeah, with that being said, I'll see you guys next time. Bye.